0: Hey there, parents, it's Jancy, social worker in the special education department with Dallas ISD. Today, we have our second episode of our podcast, Courageous Conversations for All Abilities. We will be discussing parenting tips from an expert, a parent. (laughs) We talk about parenting joys and challenges that come from parenting a child with a disability. This conversation was so juicy that we could not only talk for 20 minutes. We went more, we went over that. That is why we are going to have a part one and two of this topic. We have with us today Mr. Jim Wright. He is a regional coordinator for Partners Resource Network. He is a parent to a child with a disability. Thank you for being with us today, Mr. Wright.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: We're going to be discussing parenting children with a disability. Under IDEA, there are 13 categories of disability. There's autism, deafblindness, emotional disturbance, hearing impairment, intellectual disability, multiple disabilities, orthopedic impairment, other health impairment, specific learning disability, speech or language impairment, traumatic brain injury, and visual impairment. If you are a parent of a child with a disability that falls under the above categories, this episode is for you. Mr. Wright, for our listeners and people that may not know who you are, Tell us a little bit about your family. How many children do you have? How old are they and what are their disabilities?
1: Well, I have uh, two children. My youngest is 15 years old. He's a freshman in Frisco IST. He is currently served under a 504, but he started off his career in special education He had a diagnosis of speech apraxia when he was about two and a half, three years old. And so he started school in PPCD and then he, you know, he really struggled with that. He he spoke what I called Martian. (laughs) He would speak and we used to smile and nod because we had no idea what he was saying. And then finally he he was able to get control of his uh, oral motor and then he got diagnosed again with dyslexia because he was having trouble reading as well. So I call speech, uh, speech diagnosis kind of the gateway to all special ed because that seems like that's the first diagnosis that most kids get, and then they branch out. And then after we finally got services for his dyslexia, um, he was able to be identified as gifted, and so. His intelligence was a was a, a problem from him getting diagnosed because he was memorizing things and he could kind of show that he wasn't dyslexic, but he really was and so he was just kind of str- struggling and everything and once he got his dyslexia remediated and he was starting to get some um confidence and and was able to start understanding the the written word that the rest of us were looking at. his intelligence really came out and he was able to be tested and then put in the gifted program and so he's considered to be 2e or twice exceptional and so that's a it's a real interesting category of kids and so uh, his brother who is just about to turn he's about to turn 18 next month Uh, his Mm -hmm. name is freddie and he has down syndrome he is uh legally blind he also had uh, epilepsy when he was a little guy so he went through a lot medically and then in, and then also with his um learning difficulties and everything and the difference between you know somebody that's has a overt disability is a lot different than one that has an invisible disability and so it's it's very important as as parents that you know when we have our kids with invisible disabilities that we have to um handle kind of that in a little bit different way, and then when our kids have a very visible disability, then the the reaction that the people around you give you is probably a little bit more forgiving and probably a little bit um more sympathetic and so but the funny thing about that was because when he was a little guy and he was the only child with disability at his elementary school, when we go to the he went when we went to the mall, everybody knew him. <laughs> It was, hey, Freddie, hey, Freddie, hey, Freddie. And so I was like, okay, so I am not going to discipline you in public. We are going to wait until we get yes. to the car or get home because everybody knows you. And so that was a, it was a interesting thing to be, you know, because at that time, Prisco was a lot smaller than it is now. But
0: um, it, it
1: was a kind of a funny idea to know that he was like a little rock star.
0: Yes, having a child with a the, with the disability that is very popular in, a, in your hometown or city that you live in is not very common. So I know it's very common for me to hear comments from other parents who say they don't go out to a lot of public places because people will not understand their children's disability or their behaviors due to the disability. Kind of like what you were saying, children with invisible and visible disabilities behave differently in public. For children who have invisible disabilities, they may look like any other student out there, but they they act out or they behave in a different way, like differently from what we call normal. That's when I hear parents say, I don't want to go out to public because what if they behave or act out? And you can tell that, you know, they look like a normal student or a normal child who shouldn't have these behaviors, but you know that they have a disability, but other people do not know this. And parents just shy away from going places because of that shame or that embarrassment. And they just choose not to go out and it can feel very isolating.
1: Yeah. It's like two things. There's one, you get identified as quote, a bad parent. Mm -hmm. And two, it's really hard. And you know, the, the support that you need emotionally is, is just not there from your, your fellow um, shoppers when when it's not real clear what's going on. And just like, you know, if you just would be a better parent, you wouldn't have to deal with this. And, of course, we all know as parents of, of children with uh, difficulties that it's not the case. And they take a lot of extra um, effort and time. And so, you know, as a parent of a child that has significant needs, Time is a commodity. it's yes. It's not a real luxury, and so sometimes it's just uh, it's just easier that um, doesn't help them become more independent, but you know sometimes we have to be selfish with ourselves. And it's a time that we have time to ourselves, even though it's as mundane as shopping.
0: Well, definitely, parents just do what is best for you and what has been working for your family so far, whether that is, Taking your child with you and helping them experience and play the role of buying groceries or whether that is just leaving them at home because that's what's best for your child because they can't handle it, handle it right now. So just really do what is best for your family because no one else matters. Mr. Wright, you work. You are a parent to two children with disabilities and you are also support other parents that are parenting children with disabilities. What is the biggest challenge you face when parenting?
1: Well, I think the the biggest challenge I face is trying to become proficient to understand the experts. And I just have a, a need to to feel that confidence to participate and to become, you know, quote, the expert of my child. And when your child has multiple disabilities, has multiple medical issues, has multiple um, neurological differences, there there's a lot to learn that I didn't learn going to high school and college and all that, you know, I had to learn going to seminars and reading specialized books and to find peer networks that, that, deal with the same kind of situation. And then uh, I'm gonna go ahead and give a plug for the organization that I work for, Partners Resource Network. I was a volunteer for them for five years before I started working for them. And they helped me you know, find my voice to, to advocate for my children, especially for my youngest one because it was really difficult at that time to get um, dyslexia diagnosed um, for many different reasons. And they, they helped me understand the need for it, the benefits of it, and to, you know, how you go about doing that. And so they just gave me the confidence that I needed to, to speak up for my child and, and know what I'm doing is, is, is right.
0: So I know that when I talk to parents, I tend to tell them, you are the expert in your child's life sometimes parents don't feel like that because they have professionals who have degrees and who've learned and been studying different behaviors or emotional uh emotional well-being and parents just don't feel like the experts they get information left and right you have people telling them you need to do this and then you have other people tell them you need to do that campus is talking to them. Hospitals, doctors, they have so many professionals in their lives that they don't feel like the expert. And it's, that's a big challenge for our parents is just kind of being confident and knowing how to support their child.
1: Yeah, they also say trust us. And so I have a motto, <laughs> I trust, but I verify. And that, that, and that goes with the medical side too. I mean, when you are dealing with, we um, had epilepsy for a few years, and that's I learned that they they just they just don't know. They have studies and they have statistics and all that, but they ultimately don't know. They just kind of throw a bunch of mud at the wall and and they have procedures and how they proceed, mm-hmm. but ultimately it's a it's a a phase of medicine that that's developing and and and, you know getting more data and everything because the brain is the last unknown so i've learned to question i've learned to um to try to have empathy also for you know you know when you're dealing with an expert that obviously they know way more than you do but they only know what what they can know because of of science is only that far that, you know, you have to work together you have to, you have to form a partnership and you have to have a mutual trust to gain that, um, communication and to, you know, to meet the needs of your child and however you go about doing that, whether it's, you know, through research or through talking or through, um, trust, um, it's important that you get that to where you get the connection where you can have, you know, true conversations with the people that you're dealing with, whether it's on the education side or the medical side.
0: Yes. So what you're saying about partnership, I think that is the best way to describe it because you know something about your child. They behave, they may behave differently at home than they do in school or different things may work for your child at home that they don't or do work at school. And sharing that with the campus or with professionals And using all of the knowledge that you know can really be the best thing for your child. Bridge that knowledge gap and support your child in different aspects at school with different professionals. There are good and bad days for everyone. Let's just be honest. What coping skills do you use to get yourself through those challenging days?
1: Well, You can use the denial part and say, that there are no bad days, but yeah, they're definitely challenging days. And I think the most important thing is that you just have to learn how to breathe. You learn how, you have to learn how to be in it, but yet be able to step back. And I've learned to, when I've reached that point, I've learned to physically leave and and just know that you will get through it. And, what seems like a big thing now will become a little thing and you'll even forget about it later. You know, time is a great, great cure for a lot of these, these issues. And so you kind of have to reevaluate if you're having constant battles, you know, what is truly important. And that's, you know, is, is a difficult thing to do as a parent because you want to have that, that structure and you want to have the, you know, cause it's definitely a power struggle and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, my, my oldest one, you know, he is going to be an adult Yeah. next month. And so I have to readjust him and recalibrate what that really means. You know, he's still my little baby and it's, uh, so I have to let him make more mistakes cause he's making a lot more mistakes now than he ever has. I mean, trying to groom himself, trying to take care of his own needs to make his own food, that type of stuff. So that's how he learns and we have to just make sure we don't have any fires or we don't have, I know a plumbing issue where we have to call out a plumber, you know, so we just have to kind of hover in the background and then come forward when he's done and kind of fix the damage a little bit. And you have to, you know, realize that it's, it's not that big of a deal. And sometimes it's, it's really You know tough but ultimately the the good that comes out of it far outweighs the 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 feeling at the moment and you know getting that balance is, is is important of course it's easy to talk about this rationally it's a lot more difficult to do it in person and 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 you're doing it because it's you know i've i've had to apologize to him for losing my temper and all that but at the same time that's a good thing too because you're demonstrating to your child how you apologize how everybody makes makes mistakes and what you do when you do make a mistake. It's, you know, so it's all part of the human condition and you have to forgive yourself and then you have to, then you have to demonstrate how to, how to fix yourself and you have to do it in front of your child, um, especially if it has a little bit of cognition issues and you have to demonstrate explicitly, this is how you act when you mess up because he knows you messed up. I mean, he, he can tell that, that I'm angry and all that kind of stuff. But how I can calm myself down, how I apologize for my actions and all that type of thing is a great lesson for him in the long term.
0: I think my biggest takeaway is picking your battles. Parents are exhausted and we understand this. It's challenging. Being a parent to a child with a disability is very challenging and it can be very tiring. And sometimes just not picking that extra battle can be really can make a difference. Yes, they left their sock on the floor for the 10th time. But in the long run, like you were saying, you're not going to remember that fight that you had 10 years from now or something they did in the grocery store when they were four. You don't have to fight every single battle, and I think that's something very easy to say because in the moment it just seems it turns into a massive thing. But when you look at the big picture, it the, that sock on the ground is very small compared to other challenges that you're going to face. You are doing your very best, parents. That's such good advice, Mister. Right. So. Thank you for sharing with us your perspective and for allowing us to have this courageous conversation with you, Mr. Wright. In this episode, we received parenting tips for parents who are uh, raising children with disability. We learned how to get through the difficult and challenging days and the different nuances about being in public with the child that has a visible or invisible disability part two of our conversation is going to have even more information for your parents so i cannot wait for you to listen to part two and like always thank you for being with us today mr wright and thank you parents for listening to us we always like to know how this information has impacted you and how the special education department can support student success you can give us your comments and feedback at www.dallasisd.org/slash. let's talk Student and Family Support Services, or email me, your host, at J-A-R-E-V-A-L-O at DallasISD.org. Public service announcement. If you or a loved one are going through a difficult situation, help is available. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255, and it's available 24-7. The Spanish Lifeline is 1-888-628-9454. For those who are hearing impaired, you can call 1-800-799-4889. And there is also a crisis text line. You can text MHFA to 741741 for free 24-hour, seven days a week crisis counseling. So this episode of Courageous Conversations for all abilities is powered by the Teaching and Learning Department in Dallas ISD, Supporting Excellence in Dallas.